God is so good. We continue on our Intentional Church series, um, and it's a, a series that is every church, I think, should go through. Every Christian should um, sit under, not my teaching necessarily, but uh, any pastor that would teach the intentionality about being the body of Christ. It's um, probably uh, one of the more significant messages, especially in our culture today, that the body of Christ can hear that it doesn't come natural to us to act as a body. It doesn't even come natural to us uh, to be followers of Jesus. Uh, If so, then we would not have needed the cross. We would not have needed the death of Jesus to transform us into those who would have a desire to seek and follow God. And so, this idea about taking up our cross and following Jesus is something that we must continually be before the Lord and saying, Lord, help me. Lord, help me to die to myself and live for you. That's part of our act of repentance, is to say, Lord, I want to live in the light of the gospel, not in the light of my own desires and my own will, but let your will be my will. Let the things that you desire be the things that I desire. Help me, Lord, to want the things that you want for me and not the things I want for you to do for me. Those all take um, some intentional living, intentional praying, And one of the things that we're commanded to do as Christians is to be intentional lovers. Not only intentionally loving God, but also intentionally loving one another and intentionally loving the lost. And so we have focused on this first priority of Jesus that he would describe us by as being those who are known as followers of Christ by the way that we, what? Boy, that was weak. In the way that we, oh, come on, in the way that we, okay, now I can move on, see? Thank you for being patient with me. But that is so crucial, isn't it? The world will know that you are mine by the way that you love one another. If Jesus said that's how we are identified, is that not important? Should it not make our ears go, holy smoke? It isn't about how smart I am. It isn't about how much money I have. It's not about how many scriptures I can quote. It's not about how many hymns I know. It's not whether I'm in the Methodist church, the Presbyterian church, the community church, or the congregational church. That matters nothing. They didn't even exist when Jesus said this. What matters is the way... That we love one another. So much so that Paul would write an entire chapter devoted to what does it look like for us to love one another. I told you last week, you have a church here that Paul's writing to that's a church in division. It's a church that... um, is critical one of the other. It's a church that in some ways has stalled in terms of its mission of being the church in Corinth. It is a church in theological arguments. It is a church uh, in leadership disputes. It is a church 
that has a bunch of members that don't particularly care for one another. It's a church that has no real vision of what Christ has called it to. And so Paul speaks into this life of the church and says, the most excellent way to find your way is love. And so we've moved into this series, Intentional Love. And we're breaking down this 13th chapter of Corinthians. And this morning I want to look at love's forbearance. In other words, love is patient and love is kind. I know a couple. Uh, I won't mention their names. Protect the innocent. But they have different modes of travel that they prefer. One of them uh, likes to get to the destination quickly so that the destination can be enjoyed. The other person in this relationship likes to meander, sometimes get lost. I, I mean, he even. Um, <laughs> He even likes to take new and different routes. One person likes to plan where all the rest areas are along the journey. The other says, we'll figure out as we go. One says, you shouldn't put me through that kind of anxiety. And the other says, we can make one more rest stop. Come on. And then the words that every couple enjoys. When are we going to get there? If you've got kids, you've heard it too, right? In the back seat. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Love is patient. And love is kind. Maybe there's no greater display of this than on a journey somewhere. I want to give you a truth this morning about patience. Patience is the key to living in the present grace of God and thereby His kindness. Let me give that to you again. Patience is the key to living in the present grace of God and thereby in His kindness. When we live Impatiently, we miss the present. Sometimes we're so concerned about what's going to happen next year. Where will we be five years from now? What, what's going to happen two years from now? We need a plan. We've got to know the picture. God better draw it out the way it's supposed to be. And it creates an anxiety in us. It creates an impatience in us. That says, God, I see what I want you to do, and I want you to do it now. And you see, in, in living that way, and in thinking that way, you and I miss the grace of what God's doing right now today. None of us, no one in this room has a guarantee for tomorrow. 
It's, it's why Jesus would teach us to pray for daily bread and not monthly bread or yearly bread or decade bread. It's the reason why he would tell us, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough concerns of its own. Live today. Behold, before you this morning, there's an immediate grace that you may be missing. Because you're so concerned about how things will turn out four, five, ten years from now. I'm not saying we don't plan. I'm not saying that we don't think and prepare as best we can for the future. That's not at all what I'm saying. But when those plans, when those hopes for the future become so consuming that we can't enjoy the moment of today. And it creates an impatientness in us that causes us to begin to grumble and mumble and murmur and criticize and become critical and bitter in our hearts, then we miss the grace. As Jonah would put it, those who cling to worthless idols forsake the grace that could be theirs. And in this moment right now, we have the grace of one another. Many of you have been really patient with me over the last several months. And we've got work to do for the future, and I hope you'll be as patient. But don't miss what we have today. Don't miss the joy that God has put here in this church right now. I want to give you the reality. As we live and love patiently, we experience and express the kindness and the character of Christ. As you and I live with one another, expressing the patience and the kindness of Christ, we experience Him. You want to have more of Jesus? You want to experience more of His presence in your life? Consider being patient with one another. Consider being kind to one another. Because it will show you the grace of the moment of being together with one another. Richard Hendricks has this quote about patience. He says, Second only to suffering, waiting may be the greatest teacher and trainer in godliness, maturity, and genuine spirituality most of us will ever encounter. Patience and suffering may be the greatest teacher and trainer of spirituality that most of us will ever encounter. 1st point this morning I want to give to you is love's forbearance or love's patience moves slow because of Christ's character. I want you to think of Jesus with me this morning. The patience of the Son of God who bore upon himself the full nature, the full reality of being fully man. The second person of the Godhead who knew no boundaries, knew no sin, never knew what it meant to ache in the joints, 
took upon himself a fully human body that would go through the birthing process, contracted into this world through blood and through water, into the coldness and the dampness of a stall, to feel the first pain of taking in his first earthly breath. To be ridiculed. To live under the very law that he gave. To be taught by those who he taught. To live in utter poverty from the glorious riches of heaven. For you and me. And he patiently endured that humiliation. The God of the universe humbled himself to patiently endure being falsely accused, being left alone. To put a piece of wood upon his shoulder and carry it for miles. The very tree he created became the place where he would die. And he patiently hung there. Every single moment and tick of the clock, he patiently hung there for the likes of you. And me. He could have called it off. He could have said, no, not now. He could have said, I'm in a hurry. He could have said, Lord, not your will, but my will be done. But he patiently waited for God to act. So that through that patience, you would know God's kindness and we would be one with Him forever. You see, the Son of Man patiently bore our flesh, showed us the Father, and bore the cross on our behalf for this reason. Without death, there can be no resurrection. And as true as that is for Jesus, it's also true for you and I. The patient enduring of the suffering of this life, even unto our own death, brings us the resurrection. You see, God is always at work in our lives, taking us to rebirth. He's always taking us to renewal. He's always taking us to revival. He's always patiently doing everything in our lives that appears to us 
as wild and uncontrollable sometimes, but everything that he's doing is taking you and I patiently to the place where we look like Jesus. You remember Romans 8, don't you? He's using everything to do what? To conform us to the likeness of His Son. And He's patiently doing so. Oftentimes, I want God to, I want God to fix something and I want Him to fix it now. I spent an entire week this week. And Lee and I laugh about this now because over the years we've noticed whatever, whatever the sermon material is, I'm going to get tested in. So we're thinking, I need a test on the blessings of being wealthy. Uh, I'm thinking of ten other things too. Um, but, but the idea of, Lord... I just, I don't want to wait. I'm tired. Do you realize I'm running out of waiting time? I may miss out something here. And every moment of my anxiety, every moment of my impatientness, every moment of my being consumed with what I want it to be like is the moment that I miss out on the grace that is mine in that moment. The joy of of being with my wife. The joy of being with you guys and gals. Is that politically correct? I don't care. Um, I forgot I didn't care about that kind of stuff. Um, The joy of hearing music. The joy of, of praying together. The joy of of painting the steeple or whatever it is the trustees are going to do. Any, all these things, when I'm anxious about things aren't the way I want them to be and they need to get the way I want them to be and they need to get that way now so that I'll know and I can control all the events so therefore I know I'm safe. I, I, lose, I lose the moment. I lose the grace of that moment. Paul said in Ephesians 4, he says, I urge you to live a life that's worthy of your calling. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. You see, without patience, we're not unified because we're not kind to one another. It takes patience. To be kind. Forbearance and kindness is where we find the power to forgive like Christ has forgiven. Let me say that once more. Forbearance, patience, and kindness is where we find the power to forgive like Christ forgave us. Colossians, Paul says again, bear with one another and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. Without patience, there's no kindness. Without kindness, there's no forgiveness. And without forgiveness, there is only disunity. 
It is why Paul says the first element of love is to be patient and to be kind. Bear with one another and forgive whatever grievances you have. You say, I don't know how I can do that. You don't know how badly I'm hurt. You'd be surprised at what I know about hurt. You might be surprised at the struggle in my own life I've had to forgive. But I don't face these verses without the conviction of understanding that Christ has called me not to how I want it to be, but how he wants life to be. As a follower of his, I'm commanded by him to submit to his teaching. And if he tells me that I'm to forgive even as I am forgiven... And I'm to forgive others in the same way that I've been forgiven. Indicates two things, does it not? One is, there's a method that I must follow. I must forgive. But there's a second thing in there. As I've been forgiven. Well, what does that assume? Two things. I need forgiveness. Duh. And I've been offensive. But to whom? Well, if it was Christ who forgave me, I must have sinned against God and been offensive to Him. And yet, even while I was a sinner, and even while I was in the midst of being a great offense to Him, He forgave me. Didn't wait for me to say I'm sorry. Didn't wait for me to get my act together. Didn't wait for me to do 10 push-ups. Didn't wait for me to jump through 18 hoops. Didn't wait for me to get everything together and then have myself a speech. No, it says, yet while I was still in the midst of being offensive and a sinner, Christ forgave me. That is how I am to forgive you. And you are to forgive me and forgive one another. Intentionally so, because love is patient. And you may be thinking along with me right now of 1 John chapter 3, where John tells us that God is love and those who do not love do not have It might be important for us to be intentionally seeking out what does it mean for me to love. If you want to be His. I know that many of you have very difficult and hard scars, deep wounds, just like I do. But we must forgive. Because we've been forgiven. And it's in that forgiveness that we display the character of Jesus. And as we display the character of Jesus, we experience the character of Jesus.
in our own lives. And it says that all of that produces a unity amongst us. And unity moves us towards Christ's glory. The third part of this message. Do you hear the prayer of Jesus? In the Gospel of John, He says, I've given them the glory that you have gave, gave me. Did you, did you hear that? That if you're a follower of Christ, that you have the glory, the exact same glory that God the Father has given God the Son is yours. Jesus says, I've given them the glory that you gave me. Why? Why would He do that? So that they may be one. Not so that they may show off. Not so they may be individuals. Not so they may live alone. Not so they may be an island. Not so they may be isolated. But so that they may be one. How? Even as you and I are one. Wow. I've given them, you all, y'all. That's what it says in the Greek. My glory that you gave me so that they may be one, unified, just like the Father and the Son are unified. That they may be brought to complete unity. Why? To let the world know that you have sent to me. And have loved them, here it is, campers, that you have loved them with the love that you have loved me. That's the most important verse in Scripture to me. That Jesus, the second person of the Godhead, prays that you and I will know that you are loved and I am loved in the same way that God the Father loves God the Son because the second person, God the Son, prayed to God the Father. We know for sure, because there's no disharmony in the Trinity, that prayer is answered in the affirmative so that as a follower of Jesus, you are loved exactly like Jesus is loved by the Father. It doesn't get any better than that. And he says, because of that, you will know his glory. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. The glory. The desire of the heart of God is for you to see Him in His glory. He wants to show you Him. He wants to unveil His beauty to you. He wants you to know Him fully, unencumbered by sin. And for that reason, he's very patient with you. He loves you with an everlasting love and will bear up with you and hold you patiently until you see him unveiled. And that is the desire of his heart.
because it's His glory that you and I would be unified in that mission. And for us to be unified in that mission, we have to be kind to one another. And for us to be kind to one another, we must be patient with one another. And then the words, I love you, will not be just words, but they will be our reality. They will be our perspective. Last thing here this morning is that without patience, you cannot gain the proper perspective. Without patience, you cannot gain the proper perspective. And what is the proper perspective? There's one God per universe and you're not Him. And because we are not Him, we must learn from Him and be patient with what He is doing as the God of the universe. Because He's making you look like Him. And that takes time. Because love moves slow. Some time ago, when my father was alive, um, we lived close to one another in proximity, and I decided um, I had bought a lamp to, to hang in our foyer. And um, I thought it'd be nice to call my dad over. My dad was a trained engineer, but was a general contractor. So he was the worst of both worlds. I say that as an ADD kid of an of a engineer. Um, well, quickly, let me start at the beginning. Because of that, every, everything was a, was a lesson. Mowing the lawn. He had a particular way he wanted the lawn mowed. And he had it all diagrammed out. He, would, he actually drew it on paper. And he would hand it to me. And I remember one of the, one of the last times he handed it to me, I said, Dad, I'm 38 years old. I think I've got it by now. He said, well, it never hurts to go over the basics. So, fast forward, I'm, I bought this light, and I'm, I'm going to hang it up in the, on the foyer of our house. And I thought, well, it would be nice to include Dad, and this would be a good time for him and I to be together. Well, it was one of these lights that came pre-assembled. You know, the first five steps were already done. So I, I went into the kitchen to get the screwdriver out of the drawer, and I come back, and I look, and he's got a screwdriver already, and he's undoing the lamp. I'm like, well, Dad, what are you doing? He said, well, I'm starting from the beginning. I said, it's already, it's already pre-assembled. You don't have to do that. He said, oh, yes, I do. I said, no, you really don't. He said, look, son, look at the directions. Step A. You're starting at step D. We've got to go to step A. And I thought to myself in that moment, oh my gosh, this is going to take forever. I need to get him out of here. And then in that moment, it occurred to me how patient he had been with a little boy that he was teaching year after year how to mow the lawn who wanted to chase butterflies with the lawnmower and cut designs in the yard. And he never yelled at me. He never spanked me. He never told me how wrong I was. 
he just would gently correct me because he wanted me to learn something that he knew. A process that would bring beauty. That's what your Father in Heaven is doing with you right now. Maybe you're, you're like me and you're going, this is going to take forever. But hear this. He's at work. He's at work in this church making it just how He wants it to be. And He's in work in your life making your life just how He wants it to be. And we will all look like Him as we love one another and we stay unified to one another in kindness as we move forward as the body of Christ. Love is patient and love is kind.